Hello, channel pros. Welcome to the first Channel Journeys podcast of 2023. 2022 is in the books and we have an exciting year ahead of us. We faced a lot of challenges over the last few years and I don't think 2023 is going to be any easier, but with grit, determination and hard work, I think we're all going to thrive. I'm Rob Spee, the host of Channel Journeys. My goal with this podcast is to help you navigate the changing landscape, find new ways to grow your business and your channel career. Over the New Year's break, I was up in the mountains cycling with some buddies of mine, including Ben and Baron, who you may remember from my Caribbean Sailing Adventure podcast. It was our first mountain ride of the year after a winter break from the big climbs, and our legs just aren't as strong as they were last summer. On top of that, what was supposed to be a mild day turned out really cold and wet. And as we're making the last climb up the big mountain in the pouring rain, I'm thinking, you know, this is a great metaphor for 23. It's tough, but we're out there giving it all we've got. We're enjoying the wonderful nature God created. And even though we're tired and soaking wet, we're actually having fun. That's my hope for 23. It's going to be tough, but let's have fun doing it. I wanted to have fun on my first podcast for 23 and really offer you some valuable insights that can help you build your career no matter what stage of life you're at. We're suddenly in a completely new landscape, one that some of you may never have experienced before. After years of nonstop growth and massive hiring and massive comp packages by the big techs, we're suddenly seeing massive layoffs. Salesforce just announced that they're letting go 10% of their workforce. Well, what impact is this going to have on your channel career? and What impact will it have on our partners? We're going to answer these questions and a lot more in today's interview with the one and only Jay McBain. Jay is the Chief Analyst of Channels, Partnerships, and Ecosystems at Canalis, and the person I turn to when I want to learn all about the top trends in the industry. I caught Jay just before he was heading out on his Antarctica adventure. You're going to hear some really important things you should know about the changing landscape that impact our channel careers. Today's shout out is to the entire extended global partner team at Beyond Trust. What a great year we had building and starting to execute our partner ecosystem strategy. Thanks to all of you out there. Okay, are you ready to learn how to navigate and turbocharge your channel career? Let's go. Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hey, Jay, good morning. Welcome back to the Channel Journeys podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, great to have you here again. You have been the world traveler this year. Yeah, five different continents in five different weeks and heading off with the family for Christmas in Antarctica. So <laughs> we're back on planes again. Yeah, that's fantastic. After a long hiatus, you're finally back traveling. That's great to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to have you back on the show. Last year, we talked about kind of channel predictions overall. But as you and I were chatting, it sounded like a good idea to focus a little bit more maybe on the human side, the personal side of what's happening in the channel and the just the industry as a whole. And uh, in your role, you get to talk to a lot of companies, you get to see what's going on. And I know you do a lot of analysis as well, much more than most of us have a chance to. So I want to pick your brain around that and, and see what you're thinking and kind of some big themes of what's going on in the channel and in the tech marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Many of the things that we predicted on our last show uh, came true this year. And we're starting to see that on the on the personnel side. And whether it's leadership, 
organizational development, uh, obviously the stage uh, state of the economy right now and other things. So there, there seems to be forces in all directions. Uh, and it's really coming back to the people side. So excited about this conversation. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we talk a lot about the mechanics and the evolution to the ecosystem and all of that, which is all happening all around us. But there there's some bigger forces at play, too. And maybe the first one that pops out is just some of the big layoffs that we're reading about, which is not something we're used to seeing. Yeah. In November, we're tracking 200,000 layoffs in the... 200,000? Yeah, in the tech industry. And, and we knew the, the top 100,000 are all the big tech companies that all laid off over 10,000 people. So th those were pretty easy to count. There is a website called layoffs.fyi that tries to capture... There used to be a, a, back in 2008 and 2000, there was a website called Eft Company. I won't say the whole word, <laughs> but it kind of did the same thing, publishing internal memos and, you know, kind of pointing to this um, crowdsourcing of, of layoffs and things like that. But um, no, a large number of layoffs. And for many people, 2008 is important because, you know, they entered the workforce, maybe in Silicon Valley out of college uh, after that time frame. And they're almost turning 40 years old right now without ever facing a layoff or a, a downturn uh, where you and I have gone through many more cycles than that. But um, I can't imagine, you know, turning 40 years old and, and never, you know, experiencing a downturn in the industry. And we've been on a really good run for 14 years. Yeah, that is interesting to think about. Yeah, you, we've been through a number of those cycles before, but this is the first big one for those folks. So in that 200,000, what are you noticing? Are you seeing any trends in terms, is it just mass layoffs or is it the channel team getting hit? What are you seeing? It's not mass layoffs. So there's a few things. One is in big tech. If you go and look at the largest of companies that have you know, talked about 10,000 plus layoffs, a lot of it is these companies uh, at the very, very top, the, the Microsofts and the Googles and the Amazons and others, they brought on a lot of what I'll call moonshot type things. Because again, the economy's been good. Their stocks all hit trillions of dollars of valuation. They've all hired a couple hundred thousand people in the last couple of years. Like the pandemic was really, really good for big tech. And, you know, many of these companies had self-driving cars and drones and, you know, quantum computing and all these kind of really interesting moonshots. And, and these projects over time get shut down. But because of the race for talent, they never let the people go. You've got people with very specific skills in emerging tech that are now you know, working somewhere else. So the majority of the layoffs are just people where their skill sets are no longer aligned to the company because they're not chasing that market opportunity anymore. So that's one. Um, two is in the times of downturn. And again, we, we don't have any forecast for how deep this is going to get and how long it's going to run for. But marketing and partnerships are a place that get hit harder on average than other parts of the company. It goes back to this founder idea that, you know, you got to protect your engineers and your product folks. You got to protect your sellers, your direct sellers in a lot of cases. Uh, you go back to that uh, embryonic stage early in the company where, you know, you grew out of product, you know, getting product fit and getting, you know, the first deal sold. And, you know, a lot of times marketing and partnerships and partnership marketing are kind of the easy first targets. Uh, that, yeah, that is definitely happening. And we're seeing that out in the communities right now. Several peer groups and associations, we're seeing several magazines, you know, bring in different initiatives for people that have been displaced and to try to get them, uh, you know, in, back into the market again. So what do you think that means for those of us that are still hiring and looking for talent? It was a 
a buyer's market last couple of years, people being able to demand just, you know, really high salaries, compensation packages. Are we going to see that scale back? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, you know, if you talk about 200,000 people landing back into the market, uh, I think the channel itself is going to benefit. And these are partners of ours who have been struggling for years and years and years. That would have been one of the biggest predictions last year is how bad the market was for them. And if they did find the person, there were probably a triple the cost of what they could afford. And, you know, I think those things are going to settle. I mean, these two and three and $400,000 base salary jobs, you know, are going to melt a little way as, as people go back e either into the channel. And also um, I published last week a list of, you know, the top 10 people that are hiring for tech jobs right now. And that was a work that CompTIA did. And, uh, you know, eight of the 10 were non-tech companies. So there are, as every company is becoming a tech company, there are jobs across healthcare and pharmaceuticals and banking and insurance and automotive and other areas for tech people to go to. And uh, the other 26 industries are going to benefit from, again, this, these big, big tech layoffs. That's interesting what you said about the partners too, because they always struggle to find and keep good talent. So this could actually benefit them as they go out and look for those technical and sales resources. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, all boats are going to rise here. And, you know, I, I think people with good technical skills uh, will never be long, you know, for, for finding new roles. So, uh, you know, it, it's the number one industry by growth. It will double in size, even with this downturn by the end of the decade. It is the right skill set to have in every industry and in every country in the world and looking forward. But yeah, I think it's a little bit of a realignment a little bit in, in terms of where people will sit. Yeah. What's your recommendation for those folks listening that are in the channel? You know, they're, they're in their positions. What should they be thinking about? Well, I think, you know, the channel right now is going through its a major transformation. We talked a lot about this on our last call, but there's a ton of work to do. And, and I know that you and I know that others in, in your roles are, you know, heavy on 2023 planning. And it's not as simple as it was in the past. You know, you're not, you know, normally in, in a normal year, you're just perfuming up the program and changing a couple of words and changing a couple of pixels on the page and stuff and then re-announcing it like it's something new, which it isn't. But literally people are going through transformational changes right now programmatically. They're looking at new technologies. So there's 11 islands of innovation that channel leaders are considering, you know, things like co-sell and account mapping and attribution, and which may be new to the stack this year. And then they're obviously looking at new types of partners, you know, that aren't particularly resellers by type, but they're helping in marketing and customer success. They're helping in technology alliances and other kinds of strategic and business alliances. So th these are things that I think are keeping people busy. Yeah, it sure is for us at Beyond Trust. This year was a really exciting year. You know, you kind of announced new programs and new directions and new partnerships and that type of thing. And it's still very exciting, but now the hard work comes. You, you got to make it work. And we've just really got to dig in. And that's the, the message I try to give to my leaders too. Is, hey, next year's going to be a tough year. It's fun. It's exciting, but it's tough too. What we're doing is, is there's no proven roadmap for this. We're all figuring it out, right? We're all trying to figure this out. We're learning from each other, but we really got to dig in and work extra hard especially given these, these economic conditions that we're talking about. Yeah, one of the exciting changes from last year, I mean, we made a prediction about channel leadership, what it would look like, partnership leadership. And, uh, you know, we made a prediction of, you know, what a chief partner officer may look like. You know, we had talked last year about 76% of companies are thinking ecosystem first now, thinking they can't do it alone. And that's in all industries. And so 
who do you hire if, if you're that CEO, if you're that board who believes they can't do it alone? Who do you hire to go make that happen? And there's a likelihood, and we predicted that that would probably be in the C-suite. And this year, we've had 20 of those appointments. And these are 20 C-suite channel partnership leaders or kind of top jobs. And, and a couple of things that came from this, this is important for the journeys conversation, is of all of the first 20 that were appointed, none of them have ever been a channel chief on a, a magazine list like CRM. That might make those of us listening and myself included who are channel chiefs a little nervous. Well, it was, it was interesting for me is, you know, after the first few were appointed and stuff like that, I started to see some trends. One is that the company was taking more of an ecosystem view. You know, obviously transactional channel partnerships, channels of distribution are absolutely critical, but the other five swim lanes were starting to rise in importance. And the danger, I think some of the, you know, CEOs or, or boards felt is that by just placing the, the channel chief, the, the person that has the quarterly quota, the person that has a 63% chance of reporting into a CRO, of just elevating that person into the C-suite, there might be conflict with the CRO who's also in the C-suite. And the roles you know, of just driving that quarterly number and stuff, you know, there could be conflict there you know, that you're introducing into the C-suite in terms of what route to market that's going to get favored and, and things like that. So what ended up happening is these 20 the vast majority of them come from consulting companies, McKinsey and Bain and Boston Consulting. So very, very bright people, you know, with very strong educational pedigrees are coming in to figure this thing out for the next couple of years. And I think about a company like IBM who committed a billion dollars to the ecosystem, but not really sure. They didn't give that money to Partner World, which is the more traditional, you know, since 1981, the more traditional channel part of the business. But they ended up hiring a, ch a chief partner officer, Kate Woolley, who you know came from a consulting background and was a chief of staff for the CEO and things like that. And, and she has the channel chief reporting into her and has elevated you know five other vice presidents parallel to that channel chief to drive all these partner motions and, and to rethink IBM, which you know has struggled in the last decade for revenue growth and everything else while winning the patent race. I mean, no innovation problem, but getting that innovation to market's been a problem. And that's really uh, been her role. So looking at these new partner officers, I think creates a new level for a channel journey. Sure sounds like it. Yeah. At the large level, you know, many of these are seven figure jobs. I mean, these are very senior, senior jobs within the organization. The fact that they're hiring from these big consulting firms, which are very strategic consulting outfits, right? That's what these people do. Tells me that they're looking at this role at a very high company, not, maybe even more than go-to-market strategy. It's a very broad cross-company strategy to, to weave in the ecosystem. Well, it really is. And you know how you go to market and how you choose your routes to market, You know things that have been the pedigree of, of channel leaders for close to 40 years, it goes deeper than that. As you build your products in a building block and embedded in a white-labeled way, as one plus one equals three, you think of co-innovation driving the future of these companies. You know, go look at car companies, listen to the CEO of Ford and GM and stuff, and they're literally creating computer companies on wheels. They're rethinking transportation as a service, and they're competing against a computer company called Tesla. So they're trying to hire as many of these 200,000 people as they can. They're laying off traditional internal combustible, you know, 
engine people, but they are completely transforming how they go to market. 79% of people today won't buy a car unless it has Apple CarPlay. So forget about the 100-year history of your engineering and your great engines and fuel economy and the design of the sheet metal. Literally, you know, 80, 79% of people won't buy it unless it has a technology integration in it. And now, you know, as that integration is going larger, the whole dashboard from windshield to window to window, and Apple takes over your speedometer, they're rethinking themselves of how they go to, you know, it's more than go to market. It's how they build their very product and their strategy, their operational, their finance, their marketing and sales. Everything gets wrapped around partnerships now which is different. And you need somebody of a certain level of you know, skill and expertise in how to handle all these moving parts. What do you think that means? I guess let's take a look at it at two levels. One from kind of channel leaders, channel chiefs, you know, f- folks who are later in their career who might aspire to get into that new chief officer, C-level position, and then folks that are starting their career, kind of what folks at both levels should be thinking about, maybe starting at more the senior level. What, you know, if people are coming in from the outside, not channel chiefs, what can they do about that? Is there other experience they can go look for to have a shot at that C-suite position? Yeah, and they they definitely do. And and by the way, many of these folks that have been on the channel chief list for decades are getting very strong into this ecosystem thinking. They're double-clicking on the magazines, getting into those, you know, kind of peer groups and, you know, not to get in there as... um, you know, a junior member, you know, asking basic questions, but trying to trying to figure out where the source of these technology uh, alliances are. 175,000 potential ISV relationships. What do they read? Where do they go? Who do they follow? Who's successful in these areas? You know, a company like Microsoft, who's bringing on 400 new partners a day. What are they doing to drive that level of recruitment? What language are they using? What programmatic elements are they using? And these are all changing right before our face. You know, again, what we would have predicted last year, this new language is now fully in place. Uh, two weeks ago, AWS completely changed its language uh, using Canalis Research uh, into the $6.40 multiplier. Oh, that was at the reInvent show, right? That was at reInvent. So the CEO and the channel chief, Ruba Borno, got up and changed the language to more expansive language. To every partner in the world, there's you know, pretty close to a million partners that ought to be part of the AWS journey. And they only have 120,000 of them signed up. So to the other you know, 800, 900,000 partners, here's where you can be successful. And it's not margins. It's not programmatic as much as it is multiplier. For every dollar of AWS, here's your set of services and here's what you ought to be charging. And here's how to double, triple your business just inside of AWS. Microsoft's doing it, Google's doing it, Salesforce is doing it, HubSpot's doing it. Then this year, you had Microsoft completely change their gold, silver, bronze, which is that traditional you know, tiered model that we've had for 40 years, and they're into a full point system. And so they're delivering points, recognizing partners at the point of value instead of the point of sale. And the point of sale is important too, that earns a lot of points, but across the way, getting the customer to the dance, getting them on the dance floor and then keeping them dancing all night long are equally important to Microsoft. But in fact, they've put about two thirds of the points into post-sale at the moment. And then the how to earn through technology and strategic business alliances. So fast following that, you have you know VMware coming out with a point system. You have SaaS companies like Smartsheet coming out with point systems. Last week, you had a security company like Okta come out with a full point system. 
So this isn't just perfuming last year's program. This is completely rethinking how you speak to partners, how you deliver and recognize, monitor, measure, and manage those points of value. And it's you know literally how you're going to drive an ecosystem strategy. And if you can build that today, you're obviously going to be that you know number one slot to get into that CPO, chief partner officer role. Yeah. So you've got to, really the lesson is, hey, you've got to start expanding your thinking, start looking around, learning what others are doing who are playing a leading role in this transformation and think beyond the, the, the transaction of your channel. And I would be asking for different KPIs. You know, forever we've had, you know, sales, revenue-based KPIs, profit, customer sat, you know, things that, you know, we could somewhat measure. These new CPOs, by the way, have different KPIs. They're measured on co-innovation, one plus one equals three, customer value creation in whatever way it's created, the network effects that come from you know broader and deeper partnerships aren't measured at the point of sale. So these are things that, and there's a bunch of technology now to better monitor and recognize these moments and to lead up to something's credible to say that you know we, we can measure the non-transactional parts of this business much better. Than we did even a year ago. I would love it if you'd write a blog on that one. The, these new metrics of the ecosystem that would be fascinating. Absolutely, I'll be watching out for that, Jay. All right, by uh, by tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we'll have it by tomorrow. Are there any other sources that people could look for to, to find that kind of information? I think it's fascinating. There is absolutely. You know, I, I've been following, and it takes a village. And I've always been fascinated by you know the top 100 people. I think we know kind of who the top 100 people. I published a list back in the day of in the channel world. Um, but now in this, you know, kind of broader ecosystem world, we do have the big companies like McKinsey and Bain and Boston Consulting. We have the Accentures and Deloitte's. They're all writing really good ecosystem friendly language. You could go out to the private equity folks, Andreessen, who's invested pretty heavily in this tech stack, OpenView and Bessemer and all the way down the list of, of private equity. They put $3.1 billion this year, last year into the channel tech stack. So they're building out this future, this decade of the ecosystem with their money. They're, they're writing checks toward. So they're writing really good content. Uh, but as I said, like in the last year, we now have a magazine called Partner Hacker, which is in this new language and, and talking you know, about these new type of leadership roles. We've got um, partnership leaders as a peer group that's doing fantastic work. I think there are over 1,200 paying members to be part of that. And they run an event last year called Catalyst in Miami. So they're moving along very quickly. The Cloud Software Association. So we're, we're seeing now uh, a number of consultancy firms and other things around the world. So the walled garden of ecosystems is created once you have these 14 spheres of influence. Uh, I've always published in the past, like the channel related ones. You know, it's great the 85 channel magazines we have and the 143 channel social groups and the 100 podcasts we listen to and stuff. But I'm fascinated with, you know, kind of this uh, more broader thinking of partnerships and who's driving the conversation. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, some of the names you mentioned, we never would have thought of as thought leaders for the channel, right? And now with the whole ecosystem and how important it's become to corporate strategy and startup strategy, it's suddenly they're, they're coming out, which is fantastic to see. Yeah. So the, the magazine had a virtual event, you know, about two or three weeks ago called PLX. It had 4,700 people who came to a virtual event. The last thing anyone wants to do after the pandemic is go to a virtual event. As we know, you know, people want to get on airplanes again, but somehow they found 5,000 people that were fascinated 
and, and really looking towards this new channel journey and subscribing. And they brought in just a whole, like, if you just look at the speaker list, they broke it into five days and they spoke through those five lanes that I talked about. It was that partner sales day, that partner marketing day, that partner build day of technology alliances. There was the startup day, you know, the customer success day. I mean, all five days were, you know, stocked full of really great speakers, many of them authors of great books and relating this into partner language. But many of them are just from, you know, they're superstars, they're super connectors in those lanes. And they've got partner religion now that they understand that the future of B2B marketing, getting in front of those 28 moments is now a partnership challenge. And they're the ones speaking. It's not, you know, those of us that grew up in channels trying to tell marketers what to do. It's the leaders in marketing that's going back to their tribes and saying, hey, at the end of the cookie, which happened this year, you know, those 28 moments, we can't just go buy the data anymore. We can't just grab those 9,932 MarTech tools because half of them have been neutered now without data. Partnerships are the way forward. These affiliate, these affinity, these advocate, these ambassador programs, all these things are critical. Affiliate programs are critical. The co-selling motion is critical in those first 28 moments. Yeah. So given this new landscape, let's go back to folks that are listening. Maybe they're just starting their channel career, their partner career, wherever they might have landed in this. What should they be thinking about as they look to gain their experience? I've always advised jumping around, going out to the partner, going to distributors, getting a real cross, some cross-functional, cross-partnership type experience. What else should they be thinking about, do you think, as they map out and have an opportunity to map out their, perhaps their trajectory to the C-suite one day? Yeah, I would be, uh, you know, the first thing I would be thinking about is peers, you know, all boats rise. And I'd be looking at the places that come together uh, as communities and, and people in my zone. Uh, I was given a great piece of advice early in my IBM career in the channel, you know, cause I was telling my branch manager who, you know, might've been 40 years older than, than I was and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I got to get in front of the CIO. I got to get in front of the, you know, the, the owner of that partner firm and stuff like that. He's like, cool your jets. We've got people all the way up the line. Right now, you are in the mailroom functionally. You should be focusing on who the up-and-comers are in the mailroom at our clients and at our partners. Because when you're 10 years, 20 years, and 30 years into your career, you're going to move with them as they become CIOs. When they become owner principals of the partnerships, you'll have you know had them to your wedding. You'll have family barbecues. Your kids are going to grow up together. That's how we work here. So stop thinking that you need to go and get right to the top. So I, I relate this back to, you know, early in a channel journey, my daughter just graduated law school and joined a, a big partner in New York, Pricewaterhouse. And it's the same advice. It's, you know, you don't need to go find the CEO of PwC with 400 something thousand people to impress them. But, you know, understand you're 25 and, and get together with all the up and comers, like surround yourself with those five groups of friends, you know, that, that you're going to become and, and learn together, band together read and listen and connect and engage and do all these things in the communities that are built around you, build yourself a voice, build yourself a little bit of a brand you know, for your own career purposes as well. Uh, we have an average job span right now of two and a half years on that CRN channel chief list. So unlike my thinking at IBM, I'd spend my whole life there. You've got to start planning on having a job every two to three years, could be with a different company. And um, it's all peer group. It's all finding people that are really, really good and on the same trajectory as you are at the same stage. Yeah. 
And would you advise finding, you know, if you're going to be kind of bouncing around every couple of years, because that's just kind of naturally how things are happening, seek out other different types of opportunities. You know, you're a cam one day, maybe you go do alliances, maybe you go do marketing, maybe you go do product innovation with partnering, you know, diff all these different roles that make up the whole ecosystem. Yeah. I think you really have six swim lanes now to play in. And this is different than a year or two ago when you're in channel sales and you go for, you know, channel, you'd be a cam, but then you go do some uh, product or partner marketing stuff just to round out your skills and stuff. But uh, there was a very narrow, you know, way to get ahead in, in, in channels. And we did research and we looked at all the channel chiefs and figured out what percentage of them rose through the ranks versus coming from marketing or sales or finance. And it was interesting back in the day, but right now I think you could spend your entire career in partnerships and being embedded in marketing, being embedded in sales, then in customer success, then in the product, the finances, strategic areas, the operational areas, the whole partner ops thing. There's a 94 page report just published by HubSpot, Canalis and partnership leaders, which should be the Bible of, of partner ops people. And if I'm again, earlier in my career, I would be absorbing this kind of like the Bible going forward. In, in terms of um, you know what skills I would be developing, but there's six different roles right there in six different organizations, learning a whole you know slew of skills from the partnership layer outwards, and then I come back into this partner leader role, and I've I've done the job of all six of my vice presidents. That's the key part of it now. Yeah, so the three of them are through the customer journey: the marketing, channel marketing, channel sales, and channel customer success. More simply getting the customer to the dance, getting them on the dance floor, and then in a subscription consumption world, keeping them dancing every 30 days forever. Those are three separate roles, three separate vice presidents. The head of technology alliances, ISVs, IHVs, embedded white label technology, you know, this value creation role. The head of strategic alliances. So every SaaS company starts as a partnership company. Why? Because you live on rented land. You're partnered right out of the gate with AWS, uh, Google or Microsoft, you might view it as a vendor and that's who, what platform you're building on. It's not true. You know, I just came back from reInvent with 65,000 people, 300,000 people dialing in. You might have built on Salesforce, which has 180,000 people, you know, coming into Dreamforce. You might have built on Microsoft. I mean, you're starting as a partner company and the seven layers of the stack and everybody adjacent around you is partnerships from day one. Uh, that's strategic alliances. And then there's business alliances. So literally people that are not going to sell, but going to drive value creation at one plus one equals three. People that are going to drive, you know, interesting network effects for you. And, you know, that could be with GSIs. It could be with a whole, whole bunch of different things, but it could be in your industry as well. You could be, you know, into that construction industry. You could be into the healthcare industry, finance, insurance and stuff. So how you're figuring about your ecosystem and all the companies that have a commercial benefit of partnering with you that may not show up in the customer journey and definitely aren't going to show up at the point of sale. Interesting. So last thing I want to touch on with you, Jay, is, is something you mentioned. And traditionally, many of us in the channel aspire to be a channel chief and get everything under our control, right? And it sounds like you're seeing that actually starting to reverse a little bit. Is that what you're saying, you know, kind of the end of these channel fiefdoms? Yeah. So the channel chief is always this enterprise, is always this empire building uh, tactic. And how many cams can I get? How much, uh, how much budget can I get? And things like that. And the, the very smart people in the first 20 that have taken these CPO jobs, they've actually taken more guidance from what happened in data science 10 years ago. 
So instead of the CTO or CDO, the head of data science groups building out their own empire somewhere, you know what they did is they embedded people. They embedded them in marketing and sales and customer success. Every line of business got embedded. HR got embedded with data science people. And then they dotted line back to you, but they hard line into the CMO or the CRO or the head of HR. Um, and there's a reason for that because you're now in the room and you dotted line back into something larger, but you're trying to drive marketing success or HR success. And you're building out the data lake and the warehousing and the strategies, automation strategies to go do that. But guess what? As you dotted line back, all the lines of business now have this water filling up between them and this data lake that serves the entire organization. Partnerships works the exact same way. You're building a partner lake and it's filled with data, but how that data can be used from department to department to department. There is no empire. There is no thing over there that has a bunch of people that no one understands what they do and how they do it. And it's just one of these long-term things that, that we've dealt with. Now it's very much part of the heart and soul of the organization. And there's somebody smart somewhere over there kind of connecting the dots of how all boats can rise. Yeah, I really like that, Jay, because we often complain about, well, why did they roll out that product and not think about the partner? Why did they roll out pricing and not think about the partner? Why did they roll out that campaign and not think about the partner? Whereas if you have your embedded partner people in each of those groups, now they are thinking about it. They're driving that conversation. And that line of business leader, the head of HR, the head of marketing, the head of product should understand the power of partnerships from within. And they should be pushing this. And if, if they're starting to get some really actionable, useful data from other parts of the organization, like before you run that campaign or you do that pricing strategy, before you build that product and start from the ground up, API first ground up, you know, you've got partner people literally in every meeting, on every Zoom call, in every office, you know, kind of pushing, you know, for, for that to happen earlier and more often. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. I may start taking a different approach to my empire and spreading my empire out and embedding it throughout the organization instead. That's a great idea. And I'm thinking that creates a career path too. What great career opportunities for folks in the organization to hop around those different positions. Yeah. Well, I think of somebody in direct B2B marketing, you know, getting more broad in their skill sets around through channel marketing automation, getting more broad in terms of how partners interact in those first 28 moments. I mean, you just become a good, better marketer working with partner people. And whether you want to be a partner marketer or a regular direct marketer, I mean, you're, you're moving through those career moments, but you shouldn't, you know, once the, you hit that point of getting that seven figure job, you know, it's going to be a very important part of your resume, spending those years in, you know, rolling up your sleeves inside those campaign meetings, you know, making sure that your voice was there and your voice was heard and you're building the tech stack and the programs and everything else to, to support it. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic, Jay. I, I really appreciate that. And it's been an interesting conversation because we started with layoffs, but we're ending on a much higher positive note, I think, of just the vast amount of opportunity and opportunity that we can create within our own organizations. All right. Great. Jay, any last bits of advice for folks for 23? Buckle up. Ready? <laughs> I mentioned that this industry is doubling in size. It's the right industry to be in. And we're in the decade of the ecosystem. We're about three years in. So it's becoming more operational. But make sure you don't do it in your own little silo. Like don't, you know, look inwards only to your company. It's harder to do as the companies get bigger. Uh, make sure that you're out there, you know, in the general market, what people read, where they go, what they listen to, especially the people they follow. There's literally a hundred people I could mention 
that are leading this ecosystem thought process. And just subscribing to them on LinkedIn and listening to a couple of podcasts and and connecting on a couple of social groups and peer groups, making sure you get that early email from that uh, Partner Hacker magazine into your inbox every morning. These are just things that are easy to do. And just make sure that if a time of layoffs and other things do come or one of those two and a half year changes, you know, are made that you're not just, you know, listening through one funnel. Yeah. No, there is so much great uh, information out there that you've referred to in this podcast. And I'll provide links to all those in the show notes as well, because just great content that, that is out there and great connections. Jay, thanks again. Enjoy your time out of the channel in Antarctica. You're getting, you're getting out of your silo in a big way with your family. That's it. We're going to talk channels with penguins. <laughs> I, I still want that to be a podcast. I love that title. <laughs> All right, Jay. Have a great one. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure. All right, channel pros, there you go. Very interesting insights and trends from Jay with practical advice we can all use. If you're early on in your career, start building your peer network. And that's not just liking posts on LinkedIn and Instagram. It means really spending time with your peers, meeting them at channel events, set up regular chat times, get to know them. If you're later in your career, you've got to think beyond the transaction. Learn what other leaders are doing to push the ecosystem envelope. Those are the types of leaders I love having on this podcast. If you're one of them, reach out to me and let's talk about getting you on this show. I can hardly wait to share my next guest with you. She is one of those thought leaders that I'm talking about. For today's show notes, go to channeljourneys.com slash CJ105. You can subscribe while you're there. If you enjoyed the show, hey, take a few minutes and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. That'd be fantastic. I'd love to see the first rating for 2023. For the next episode, you're going to hear Janet Shines share the top 10 traits of ecosystem leaders. It is fantastic. You don't want to miss it. Until then, have an awesome channel journey.